Welcome to the Great Plot Podcast. I'm your host, Skilla Tony. And I am Taylor of Terror. I want to thank you for joining us on our first episode. Uh, we're kind of new to this, so we're just kind of kind of wing it and see how it goes. So, I mean, we're doing this just to kind of get our feet in the water and, and bring to you our love of horror we kind of realized this is a, a very heavily populated ground uh, horror podcasting. We just figured we spend most of our time talking about horror movies anyways, so why not share it with the rest of the world? Exactly. So this being our first episode, like I said, we're just kind of winging it. Um, right now we've just got the, the simplest of features. We're just going to talk about some movies and uh, give you our opinions, talk about some news. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. Yeah, Tony, first thing I want to talk about, have you heard that MTV is making a Scream TV show. I did hear about that, yeah. And after the travesty that is the Teen Wolf TV show, I don't know if I trust MTV. Oh, no, absolutely not. I, uh, you know, being a child of the 80s and the early 90s, obviously I loved the Teen Wolf movies. Who didn't? Yeah. And so I gave Teen Wolf the TV show a try thinking it would be kind of a comedy horror uh, like like the t- uh, the movies. So I gave it a shot, and it was awful. It's fucking Twilight. Exactly. Uh, I don't know why you would take something that people our age love and just destroy it like that, just turn it into some bastardized version of it. Well, and it sounds like they're going to do that with Scream, too. Because I was reading that they're going in a supernatural direction. So instead of just being a, a slasher, there's, I don't, I don't know, going to be ghosts or psychics or something. I don't even know. Yeah, you know, when I first heard that, I immediately thought of the Friday the 13th series. Did you ever watch that? I did, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. Well, basically, it was kind of an... Uh, I remember Freddy's Nightmares. Yeah, Freddy's Nightmares. But that at least had something to do with Freddy. I mean, he right. was the host. As opposed to the Friday the 13th, um, the series, it had nothing to do with Jason. There, there was, yeah, Jason wasn't even in it. Yeah, it was just, um, if I remember correctly, and I might be wrong about this, but it is basically a team of investigators that investigate paranormal happenings. And so... When I heard about Scream doing a supernatural thing, I immediately thought of that and how I'm worried that the Scream TV show is not going to have anything to do with the movies. I'm wondering if Ghostface is even going to be in it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of your principal character. Granted, it's been played by different people in each movie. Um, but to Wes Craven's credit and you know the writers of the movies... They always manage to tie 
that character into the original sure. characters. So, yeah, I just don't see anything good coming of this, especially because it's MTV. Yeah, they they haven't done anything good since um, they stopped doing music videos. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know some of you youngsters probably don't even remember that. MTV used to stand for music television. It was like YouTube on the TV. Ooh. <laughs> Howard, excuse me, but your wife's cookies are out of this world. What a... Who told you you can eat my cookies? I'm just helping Liz out a little in the kitchen. She's making up a storm here. Ted, I need to speak to my wife. So could you get her on the phone, please? I think she's in the shower, Howard. Do you want me to go check? No! I mean, no, that's fine. On your way out, just tell her it would be a few minutes late, but you shouldn't worry. Oh, she won't worry. I mean, I'm here, and... Mm. Oh, these cookies! I gotta get the recipe from Les. Put that cookie down! Now! All right, well, moving on. Uh, so there's a, a movie coming out uh, here uh, sometime next year uh, called Maggie. And this is going to be starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, of all people, um, Abigail Breslin, Little Miss Sunshine, exactly, and uh, Jolie Richardson. Uh, you might remember from uh, she was Julia from Nip Tuck. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so they're going to be playing this family, and uh, it kind of sounds like it, it takes place in New Orleans. Nolans. Nolans. <laughs> Uh, and Arnold, he's going to be some kind of farmer, just you know, just a regular class guy. And uh, a virus breaks out, and his daughter Maggie, played by Abigail Breslin, she gets infected. And so it kind of sounds like the concept in the movie is going to be he is kind of caring for her as she descends into being a zombie. Interesting. Um, so, is it kind of the story of her becoming a zombie? Like, is it like a delayed incubation period where it's not like she dies and comes back as a zombie five minutes later? Right. Yeah. It kind of sounds like the case is going to be she is kind of slowly fading away. Um, you know, there's obviously. You know, zombie fans like us, we could debate, oh, it's like, how severe was the infection might relate directly to how quickly you become a zombie. Sure. Um, so you got to maybe figure that, you know, she gets a bite on the hand, and so it's just kind of a slow process. I'm hoping it's not going to be an intelligent zombie kind of situation, though, where we have to deal with, like, she's a zombie, but she still loves her dad, and... That could probably be the worst thing they could possibly do with it. Um, and yet, it's, it's probably pretty likely. Uh, at this day and age, I wouldn't bet against that. Uh, I mean, this, you know, this love of, you know, like fast zombies, which, you know, just so, so everybody out there is clear, we are very strongly opposed to fast-moving zombies. Me, personally, going off topic here, I've, I've grown to accept the infected zombie 
as being able to run, but that's separate from an undead zombie. Yes. Because when you're infected, you're still a human being. Uh, whereas when you're undead, you're a rotting pile of meat. You, right. you can't run, especially not faster than you did when you were a person. Yeah. <laughs> like the Day of the Dead remake, they could run superhuman speeds and jump 30 feet in the air. And, and I'm not going to talk about that movie because it's just going to make me angry. <laughs> but yeah, uh, infected zombies running is, is okay to me, but the run dead is not okay. That's a good word. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, I just kind of want to talk about like Arnold Schwarzenegger in a zombie movie. Yeah, it's weird. You're, we're so ex- used to him being, you know, Terminator, Mr. Action, Kick-Ass. Right. And now he's going to be, not even just being in a zombie movie, but being a dad. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you do see him play a dad, he's always been, you know, the badass dad. that's sure. Out to rescue his child, you know. Right. <clears throat> so this is definitely a departure for him. Um, I don't know. I, I got to say my interest is... Pete. So yeah, I mean, I'll see it definitely. Yeah, um, you know, time will tell. See some trailers, find some more news about it. That might decide whether or not I actually see it in the theater, <laughs> or just wait for the Blu-ray. Um, but so that's where that stands right now. Uh, speaking of zombies, have you heard that MythBusters? is going to do a, a Walking Dead episode. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they, they recently did a Breaking Bad episode, had Aaron Paul on there, and it did really well. So now they're going to do a Walking Dead episode, and they're going to have Michael Rooker, who played um, Merle, and Greg Nicotero, who does all the makeup Ooh. and directs a couple of the episodes. And I, I don't know exactly what myths they're going to be busting, because I think we all know that zombies aren't real. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what the plan is exactly, but it should be pretty damn entertaining. Yeah, uh, that's that sounds pretty interesting. I uh, could look forward to that. I could see maybe them um, uh, analyzing the, I don't know, the like likelihood that, like in The Walking Dead, they explore the fact that zombies... They're only being uh, driven by just the most basic of instincts coming sure. from their brain stems. Just hunger. Yeah. Um, so maybe if they, maybe they'll explore, or at least attempt to explore whether or not that's possible that a human body could be activated by just the brain stem, um, or maybe uh, you know maybe something as simple as like. Would a zombie's head explode if you shot it with a <laughs> shot it with a uh, Colt forty five? So, uh, um, that, and that's that's going to be on the seventeenth is when that airs, which is three days after the season premiere of The Walking oh, Dead. So looking forward to this. finally back. I'm I'm getting tired of having to wait. Eight nine months to, <laughs> to wait for the new season, yeah. But uh, it, it definitely amps up the anticipation. 
Yeah, they they say yearning grow, makes the heart grow fonder. They, they do say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and the the new see uh, the new um, season looks like it's going to be pretty good. I uh, watched the preview. Looks like they might be leaving the prison. Ooh, uh, you know they 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 just got that big group of people from Woodbury joining them. So Tyrone is back in the group, mm-hmm. and so it looks like they're going to try and get all them integrated becomes a whole thing of you know who can you trust and the governor's still out there right yeah he's a <laughs> a loose cannon to say the least yeah so it it should be good i'm excited that's going to be on the 14th looking forward to it definitely definitely um and you know i have read very little of the series but the comic from, yes yes uh from what i have read and what I've heard, it sounds like the series is sticking more or less pretty close to the, the comic series. See, I, I I haven't read it either, and people listening to this are going to be like, you know, what kind of fan are they? <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, as far as I know, it's, it's fairly close. There's been a couple things that have gone off from the story, but, mm-hmm. I mean, you got Robert Kirkman... As a, as a working on the show, so obviously he's not going to let it go too far off, right? And they're also making it a, a companion series, yeah. Which I, don't know I, how I feel I don't about know that. It's, it's not quite a spinoff, but it's supposed to work in tandem, right? And Kirkman's doing that too, so I just I don't know what to think of that. I think they're well, AMC, you know, they're canceling their flagship shows uh, well not so much canceling but you know um, Breaking Bad just ended mm-hmm. Mad Men's Mad ending Men. after this series which apparently they're splitting in half like they did with Breaking Bad which fondness makes the heart grow fonder <laughs> or but, absence makes the heart grow yeah. fonder uh, it still irritates the piss out of me um, but and uh, no AMC, I will not watch Low Winter Sun. Stop it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know what to think about this companion series. I think they need to not try and split the one show they have left. Well, yeah, it sounds like it's basically going to be like a different group during the same apocalypse. Right, right, right. So, which I don't really see the point for. yeah. Especially with with the original series still going. Exactly. It's not like it's going to be... Like you said, it's not a spin-off. It's not um, a continuation. Like we've seen so many shows where they'll abandon the original cast for whatever reason and they're bringing in a whole new cast. They're not doing that. They're starting something that's parallel to the original story. So it's like, what are they trying to achieve? I wonder if at some point they'll come together. Maybe, and that's that's completely likely, um, but it seems like that might be better served doing like a, like a short or you know short episodes or webisodes. webisodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I, we'll see how it goes. Like uh, I said, it, it's it's going to be Kirkman, so it's going to be the same people. So I'll I'll trust in it until they give me reason not to. Mm-hmm. Sure. Keeping in the theme with zombies, <clears throat> let's talk about uh, George Romero's newest outing. Well, it's not out yet, but 
Moving into a comic book series? Yes, I heard about this. Uh, it's called Empire of the Dead, which is so clever because it's set in New York City. Oh. Um, George. Like, I love George Romero. I love Night of the Living Dead. I love Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead's probably my favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. And... Day of the Dead kind of started the downward spiral in the George Romero for me. Mm-hmm. And the the second three movies, I just... I want to like them, but I just... The, the learning zombies. Yeah, that's too much. How does, how does a dead brain learn? Yeah, he's basically insinuating that something dead can evolve. Yeah. It's like I, I can't wrap my head around that. <laughs> like it's it's enough of a leap of faith for us to believe that dead bodies are walking around. Sure. And now you want to tell us that they can learn, and they're going to probably start speaking and driving cars. You know. Yeah. And, and apparently, in Empire of the Dead, it's just more of that that they're they're continuing to learn, and they're just becoming smarter, and they're integrating with society. Oh, George. What are you doing to us, man? Uh, you know, he needs to get out of doing the zombies, at least on his own. It's like he can't be trusted anymore. You know, it, it, it kind of reminds me of like a like a crazy old grandpa that still wants to drive himself to the store. It's like, no, grandpa, I remember you don't have your license anymore. It's like, oh, God damn it, I, can, I know what I've been driving since before you were born. <laughs> <laughs> so, George, just take a break, man. Let the new generation continue your work and not turn it into this joke. <laughs> oh, just geez. find a way to make people remember that you did Night of the Living Dead and then go away. <laughs> And you know, George, on the off chance you're listening to this, we love you. We're doing this for your own good. Nothing but respect. Nothing but respect. So, uh, I guess the last thing we have to talk about as far as news is they're finally talking about a Friday the 13th Part 2. Finally. Finally. Uh, I was a fan of the remake. uh, Me too. And this is something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. You know this. Definitely. Uh, I uh, don't think I could be a bigger fan of Jason. You're wearing a Jason t-shirt as we speak. I am. I have Jason's hockey mask tattooed on my body. That you do. Uh, So this is something that's very close to me. Uh, And so anything I find upsetting, I take personally. Uh Uh-oh. Uh... I want to discuss the thought that Friday the 13th Part 2 could be found footage. Which is just stupid. Yeah. And when this found footage thing started back, I think it must have been Blair Witch Project. Sure. uh, I was a fan. And especially when I saw the Blair Witch Project, I thought... Blair Witch did it so well because even after you saw it... You didn't know if it was real or not. Exactly. You didn't know for sure 
Until several years later. Until Book of Shadows came out. Well, sure, sure. But I'm more, more talking about the, uh, the stars and creators of Blair Witch. Uh, their names uh, escape me. They came out as themselves and did interviews and stuff like that. So that's kind of the point where you knew, okay, now it's absolutely confirmed this is not real. Yeah. This is complete fantasy. But paranormal activity kind of instilled that again. Kind yes. of. Not to the same level mm-hmm. because you can't do the you can't do it twice. Sure. But it, it it put that doubt in your mind again. Mm-hmm. But again, the more sequels came out, it just became more and more obvious that it was all fake. Yeah. And now the more and more found footage, it just it's killing the genre. Absolutely. Uh, it's lazy. It, 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 it it's is lazy, lazy and it's cheap. It, it, it's like TV doing reality TV. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, low overhead. Um, you know, you can get some no-name actors, which is actually beneficial because nobody will ever see these people. Right. Anymore. So I can see the merits to doing found footage from a strictly financial point of view, but not for Jason. No, you absolutely. You don't not. take a an existing franchise and then just completely change it. Yeah, and part of the thrill of the remake and the original film series was stalking and watching the campers from the woods. Right. And, you know, it's like, oh, is that Jason? Is Jason watching them right now? Well, and Jason, he kills you in two seconds. Yeah. So, like, how would they do that with found footage? If someone would be like, oh, look, there's just... Yeah. And then they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest of the movie is just a camera lying on the ground. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's so much of it is these kids frantically running from their for their lives. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, they're in the woods. They don't know where Jason's coming from, so they need to keep moving. And I don't want to watch that. I don't want to see camera shaking back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Running through the woods. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. All that's going to do is make me nauseous. Yeah. So, I mean, you and I have a shared opinion of Michael Bay and Platinum Dunes. It's not good. (laughs) Oh, God. The guy... I mean, like I said before, we're both children of the 80s and the 90s. Big fans of things like Transformers and Ninja Turtles. And he is just raping the shit out of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know if he has something against millennials. <laughs> and he's just like, hey, here's your childhood. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he. Uh, we're not fans. No. And so, like I said, I mean, you know, Taylor shares this... Uh, this view with me, but I have a personal affinity for Jason, and so the fact that it could be just made in this cheap, lazy, lazy. F- form of film, it's insulting. And e- even though he's just a producer, it's Michael Bay's fault. Yeah, he's uh, 
out of his goddamn mind. And so that's everything for the news. Although, the one thing I have heard about it that I like is I hear that it's going to be set in the winter, and mm. it's going to be snow on the ground, which we've never seen Jason slaughtering in the snow. That's true. That's true. That and there's, there's nothing quite as beautiful as a nice crimson red blood splatter all over a fresh white snow. Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. It's like a piece of art. <laughs> So I would be looking forward to that. Yeah, if only that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now that's that's everything we have for the news. I'll tell you something I want to talk about. Movies that deserve sequels, but never got them. Mm, okay. Like Behind the Mask mm. with Leslie Vernon. Great movie. There's been a sequel in Development Hell for years. Right. It's supposed to be a combination prequel sequel called Before the Mask, The Return of Leslie Vernon. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what's going on with it. I've seen they've done Kickstarters. They've got all kinds of websites and social networks dedicated to it. But they, they just can't get it made for whatever reason. The fan support seems to be there. And I, I think um, Leslie Vernon, is he could be a franchise. Oh, absolutely! Uh, you know, you've got you've got the classics. You got you've got Jason. You've got Freddy, Michael Myers, uh, Leatherface, and as much as I love those guys, they've been done to death. Sure, gotta give them a break. And Leslie, the way the way that we, um, behind the mask is filmed is fantastic. It is a whole new take on the slasher genre. Absolutely. It's, it's found footage, which we just discussed, but it's done in a way where it's like a documentary. It's a group of filmmakers following Leslie Vernon. Sure. And he's vowing to become the next Freddy, the next Jason. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, I, I, like, like you said, the film is found footage, but it's also a combination of just regular cinematic Right, at the end it becomes a more cinematic, straightforward slasher flick. Yeah, you know, the documentary crew, they they kind of follow him, see his methods, see how he, he trains to become a serial killer, um, and uh, shows how he stalks his victims. But It's the slasher flick from the perspective of the slasher. Exactly. and But it gets to a certain point where... Okay, now the action's starting. So, in, in the in the film, the documentary crew they get to a point where it's like, okay, we can't just sit by and watch this anymore. Right. And that's when it s- switches to cinematic rather than found footage, which is done so brilliantly. Absolutely. Which I it, actually they would be hard pressed to duplicate that in sure. a sequel, but I don't think they would have to. Because they've already established Leslie Vernon, mm-hmm. and so now that he could just he could just go out and be Jason, Freddy, Michael Myers. He could be the, the slasher that he's always wanted to be. It could just be a follow up on you know him moving on to that stage in his life. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like like he's he's a, he's created his legend. Right. I mean, in, in the movie. The character had kind of a backstory, like a, like a mythical backstory. Mm-hmm. But now he's got 
real people that can verify their interactions with him. Right. Because um, like you could take you could take a sequel, and if you put it from the perspective of the film crew, you know, it does, doesn't have to be Leslie's perspective again. Mm-hmm. You could have the film crew, and you know, all of a sudden they realize Leslie's still alive and he's coming for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, you like look, go again back to Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, in the the first movie, uh, Adrian. Oh, okay, I forget her last name. Uh, the 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 survivor girl uh, in that in the original movie, she, you know, she is in the beginning of Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, and you see her kind of back going about her normal life, still having some issues with what happened at Camp Crystal Lake, um, and eventually you see that Jason is stalking her and actually comes in and kills her. So you've got that connect between the two movies. And uh, even though Friday the 13th was intended to be a series, there weren't supposed to be any sequels, um, they, I felt they did a very good job of connecting the two by bringing that character back, even for just a short while. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, so maybe they could do something like that with Leslie Virgin. Sure. Um, you know, maybe you don't want to stay with the same characters, but kind of introduce Maybe you have them just to kind of reintroduce Leslie Vernon, and then he can kill them off. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, and yeah, that, that's essentially what I'm, what I'm, what I'm thinking. Uh, just try to connect the two, and then in people's heads, they'll understand that this is the same characters. I mean, it'll be on a subconscious level. Right. And another great slasher that I think should have made, should have turned into a franchise was Babyface from The Hills Run Red. Mm-hmm. Like, just that mask alone is creepy as hell. <laughs> it's just a baby doll mask with the human teeth. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing I didn't like, though, was that he used a gun. Yeah. A slasher with a gun is just lazy. Sure, sure. Yeah, uh, you, you want to come up with a, a iconic weapon. Yeah. Uh, something. Jason had his machete. Freddy had the fingers. Um, Leslie Vernon had a sickle. Yeah. Michael Myers had a knife. Yeah. Leatherface uh, had the chainsaw. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you want to be a little more creative than that. But overall... Uh, very underrated movie. I don't think it got the attention that it should have. No, like, I never really heard about it except every once in a while on a couple blogs. Mm-hmm. But I, there was never really a whole lot of hype about it. Mm-hmm. I think it got pushed back a couple times, and that may have turned some people off to sure. think, you know, maybe this isn't going to happen. And then when it did, they either didn't notice or thought, you know, maybe they just kind of put it out of their head and they weren't excited about it anymore. Sure, yeah, that's that's completely likely, especially uh, this day and age in uh, Hollywood. I mean, whether it be Hollywood proper or just Hollywood as a term, uh, 
there's just so much detraction from trying to pursue a horror franchise just because people want to see Edward Cullen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, they want to see something that they're that they can relate to, or, you know, maybe as a couple they can relate to it, or their kids can relate to it. Something with a positive message. You know, nobody wants to see a sad ending anymore. And that's kind of, I think, a driving force of a lot of horror movies. Yeah. I see I see what you mean. Yeah. So. I don't know. <laughs> but the, the one movie, to me, that most deserves, not just one, but many sequels, Trick or Treat. Absolutely. Trick or Treat is... Born to be a franchise. Oh, God, yes. Trick or Treat, to me and Tony, it, watching Trick or Treat on Halloween is like how most people watch A Christmas Story on Christmas. <laughs> Fearnet runs it 24 hours a day on Halloween, and I could watch it every time. <laughs> yeah, same here. Uh, it's the, the anthology um, method, Just you, you don't have to have any continuity. Except for Sam, obviously. Sure. But Sam is the spirit of Halloween. Mm-hmm. He, he just wants to enforce the rules. Yeah. And so it's not like he has a vendetta against fornicating teens or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just people that don't respect Halloween. Right. And plus it's <laughs> educational. Like, how many people know the real reason we have jack-o'-lanterns? Yeah. <laughs> not many. Not many. But Sam teaches you. Yep. And does. if you don't learn, he stabs you with a razor blade inside a candy bar. Yeah, he teaches you the hard way. <laughs> uh, I, you know, talking about the original, um, not a lot of big hitters as far as actors go. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, you got Anna Paquin, mm-hmm. Dylan Baker, but yeah, no one... Like Anna, this was pre True Blood, too. yeah. So yeah. Anna Paquin was was Rose, was Rose. And that was yeah. about it. Yeah, she wasn't exactly a household name yet. Um, and then, like, I I can't remember if you said Brian Cox. I didn't say Brian. Cox, Brian either. Cox um, and uh, Leslie Bibb, who maybe not a lot of people know, she was the reporter from uh, the first two Iron Mans, blonde girl. Uh, she was in Midnight Meat Train with Vinnie Jones and Bradley Cooper. And the fat kid from Bad Santa. Right. Thurman Merman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Who didn't didn't check his candy. He did not check his candy, which is another thing you got to learn. It's a rule. Yeah. So, uh, great movie. Uh, an anthology that all has a wraparound based around Sam, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those interesting s- anthologies where a character from other stories will pop in. Um, yeah, and they all they all kind of interweave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like um, Pulp Fiction. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that setup, that format... That can be done a million times. I yeah. mean, all you gotta do and a is a million ways. Yeah, all you gotta do is find, come up with some separate stories, and just take one character from those stories, put it into another one somehow. And I know 
I, th- I think his name is Michael Doherty, the writer. Okay. He's he's talked about it. He said he wants to do another one. Uh-huh. But, again, for whatever reason, it just hasn't happened. There's been a series of shorts on FearNet every holiday. Like, they, they have a Easter one, and I think they probably have a Christmas one. But it, it's just little 30-second shorts featuring Sam. Oh, I, I, I didn't know about that. Yeah, check those it's, out. It's, it's pretty entertaining. But, I mean, I... I just I want another trick or treat. I want an hour and a half to two hour movie with Sam. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a great character. I mean, <laughs> I've already made my fiance accept the fact that when we have a child, whether it be a boy or girl, when he gets or when they get about three, four years old, they're gonna be <laughs> Sam for Halloween. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> So, yeah, definitely. All, all those movies, I, I can definitely see some merit and even potential into making a sequel. Definitely. Moving on to our next segment, we've got uh, a couple of reviews for you. Uh, you may have heard these movies reviewed a million times over, uh, but today we're going to be reviewing probably, I think, the first movie that you and I connected on as friends. Probably. Yeah. The original was the first horror movie I ever saw. The movie we're talking about is Evil Dead from 1981. I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected through this book is sure to come calling for me. Now, just to kind of give you background on the weirdos that haven't seen Evil Dead yet, (laughs) basically the premise is that uh, a group of college students, and this may not be immediately known to the average viewer, but it's a bunch of college students, they're on spring break, and they've rented out a cabin, and they're going up to visit it just to, to party for... I noticed today on Netflix, it says they take an unplanned trip to this cabin, which is just blatantly wrong. Especially because... Very clearly planned. Yeah. (laughs) He's he's looking at a map. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so these kids, they're uh, going up into the middle of nowhere in the mountains to this cabin. It's Real run-down, real rack, uh, rickety old cabin, and just a bunch of weird, strange things keep or start to happen. They don't really think much of it to begin with. And then, while exploring the cellar, they discover a book that appear, that has a face on it. Appears to be made of some weird, fleshy material. <laughs> And a uh, reel-to-reel tape recorder. Well, they bring these things up uh, into the main cabin, and they run the tape. And on it is a researcher that was researching this book. 
he identifies the book as the Necronomicon, Ex Mortis. Book of the Dead. Book of the Dead. Uh, it's an ancient Sumerian script with uh, different incantations. And it is, in fact, bound in human flesh and inked in human blood. In fact, it is. So from there, uh, they, they're running this tape, and this researcher begins to recite the incantations in the book. And this awakens this ancient evil and slowly begins to take over the cabin. And one by one, these college students, they start, they become possessed. Mm-hmm. And uh, are made... Starting with the women. With the women. Always starts with the women. <laughs> uh, so... Just one by one, they become possessed. And something that I don't really underst- never really understood is that it seems initially that the possession kind of transfers by like a bite, kind of like how a, how a zombie virus might. But then there are some where that doesn't happen. The thing is, it doesn't really ever transfer because it's not like when one person becomes a possessed the other person stops. Mm-hmm. They all become possessed at once. So whatever sure. it is that's possessing them, either there's multiple of them, or they can possess more than one person at once. Sure, sure. Um, so, uh, back to explaining the movie. We've got uh, Ash, who is our main character, played by Bruce. Bruce, Bruce Campbell. Uh I think he is his, probably his most iconic role to date. Is his first role. His first role, working with his buddy Stan Raimi. Um, oh, Spider-Man fame. <laughs> so we've got Ash, we've got his girlfriend Linda, then we've got Ash's sister Cheryl, which it doesn't really explain in the movie that Cheryl is his sister. It At one point, she, she says something about, I think it's when she's in the cellar, and while she's in the middle of being possessed, but then the demon lets her go to try and trick Ash, she says, it's your sister. Okay. I guess One I time. That's on the that. only time. Mm-hmm. And it's, you had no idea the entire movie up until then that they were related. Right, right, right. So, then we also have Scotty and Shelly, who are their friends and also a couple. So, after these incantations are read on the tape recording, Cheryl starts to uh, hear weird noises out in the woods, and she goes out exploring. <laughs> by herself, of yeah. course. It's, let's go out in the creepy woods by myself and see, just see what's going on. Just weird noises. And NBD. Just, yeah. Uh, so, she goes out exploring the woods, and... She's attacked by, by a tree. By a tree. Tree and vines and just the, the wilderness, essentially. And those of you who've seen the movie know what happens next. She is raped, raped. by a tree. <laughs> Which is no laughing matter, but... Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, if it happened to me, I wouldn't laugh. But. Sure. <laughs> well, let's hope you never get raped by a tree. <laughs> Here's hoping. 
She comes back in, scared out of her mind, and nobody believes her. Would you? No, no. <laughs> I can't say I, I just got tree raped. Yeah, that's not a thing. <laughs> she she tries to explain to Ash that she, she has to get out of there. You need to take me home. So Ash eventually concedes. He says, okay, we'll go back. I'll, I'll put you up in a hotel for the night, and we'll come get you in the morning. Tries to leave, and the bridge is torn up. It's curled up like a cinnamon roll. Yeah, it's like somebody grabbed it and in the middle and pulled it both ways. Yep. <laughs> so, basically, they come back. Cheryl becomes full-on possessed. <laughs> she turns into some crazy witch creature, and they lock her up in the cellar, and she... It, it, like I said, it almost seems like she starts to infect everyone mm-hmm. with the possession. Which probably isn't the case. Probably wasn't the intention. But that's kind of how it seems. And so, slowly, these characters are getting picked off till it's just Ash left. And he's basically defending his, his life against these people that used to be his friends and now they're possessed demons. And you know, Ash, for about... Half to two thirds of the movie, Ash is a giant poon. Yeah, yeah. And also, something that I don't know if you ever picked up on it or if you ever really noticed is Ash wasn't kind of identified as like the hero, the main character, until like until he was the only one left. Yeah, until like halfway, two thirds of the movie. Yeah. So I I always thought that was a little strange. Um, And. I don't know. I mean, it all works out as far as a, you know, as a whole film. But it seems like a lot of weird choices like that. I kind of like that though because it's it's unexpected. You know, you don't want to see, you don't want to go in and have one guy be the up at the forefront and you know leading the charge. I'm going to be this guy. I'm going to be the hero, and then he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, then the movie. It's basically written for you, and you haven't even seen the whole thing yet. Yeah, you don't um, want to be predictable. Sure, sure. Um, you know, when I when I first turned on this movie, you know, we, uh, I watched it. I kind of refreshed my memory on it just for this review here. Um, something that almost right away that I noticed was the use of uh, you know camera use, the interesting shots that um, like through through the forest. Yeah, I, I call that the, the demon cam. <laughs> Makes uh, sense. Where it's basically just a head-on camera shot racing through the woods. Right. Um, also, something that I picked up on that is, it's really subconscious. You don't even necessarily know what's going on. It's something uh, called the, a, a Dutch angle, where the camera just tilted, tilted, you know, 45 degrees. And he usually used it when, when somebody is being possessed or um, when... Uh, like close-ups, right? Extreme close-ups. Like they do a few of a bash where the yeah, camera gets yeah, yeah. really close to his face. Yeah, and it's... Just, you notice the camera is just tilted and it kind of gives it that, that just creepy feeling because it, it makes you feel a little queasy like you're a little disoriented. At, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I got a... I mean, Sam Raimi, he... I think he definitely knew what he was doing with that. Yeah. Uh, something like that, I, I can see it being overused. Yeah. Um, 
But I think it's just not the perfect amount in this movie. Yeah. I didn't even notice it, but now, now that you say it, I can picture it in my head. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it it kind of sticks with you. It's a, it's a soup, uh, <laughs> subconscious thing. <clears throat> uh, another thing I noticed was that there wasn't a lot of build-up in the story. Things just kind of started happening. Like, there wasn't a lot of, like, you know, fake scares. Like, yeah, you know, like, oh, there's a sound in the woods. Oh, it's just a raccoon. Things like that. There wasn't a lot of that. It was just instant, like, okay, these incantations are red, and now these things are coming to get you. That's true. Um, and, but at the same time, there's really good pacing. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Great pacing. It, it didn't seem like things were happening too fast. Yeah. Uh, it uh, maintained the story. I mean, there was a... Or too slow. At, at right, no point sure. are you just like, oh my God, where is this going? Right, right, right. Uh, it, uh, yeah, there was, there was plenty of story for the entire movie. Yeah. Despite having that very little buildup. And it just continuing without having those kind of fillers, I guess you might consider it. I liked the ending, too, how Ash is standing tall, but he's he's just so weathered and so just beaten down yeah. that he, he would probably almost wish for death. Mm-hmm. And then there's that last, you know, you call it the demon cam, comes flying through the cabin, and that's it. Yeah. It, and it leaves you wondering... What happened to Ash? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, is exactly. he dead? Is he alive? Is he possessed? Yeah, and I, I do love how it kind of leaves you hanging a little bit. Yeah. Um, which anybody that's seen Evil Dead 2 knows the continuation from that. Right. Uh, and, you know, we'll maybe touch on that a little bit here. But I want to <laughs> touch on you. Inappropriate. <laughs> um, something that I noticed... Uh, and you may have noticed it too, is, is a, kind of a little... It, it was kind of a back-and-forth thing between Sam Raimi and Wes Craven. When he goes into the tool shed... Or no, sorry, it's the cellar. Uh, there's a torn Hills Have Eyes poster. Right, yeah. Uh, this was actually uh, Sam Raimi's homage to Wes Craven um, in uh, Hills Have Eyes because there was a torn Jaws poster on the wall. So I think just to kind of pump up uh, his his admiration of Wes Craven, Sam Raimi put a torn Hills Have Eyes poster in there. I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it continued on from there. Because in Night, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, you may have noticed that in Nancy's room, Evil Dead was on the TV. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and it didn't end there either. Because then you notice in Evil Dead 2, when Ash busts into the, the tool shed, and I think he's gearing up to make his little chainsaw um, hand, uh, 
there's a Freddy glove hanging from oh, above the door. I didn't notice that. Oh yeah, yeah. This is I'll kind of watch that again. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, this is something that I think uh, kind of the nitpickers maybe notice at first. It's like, oh, there's a Freddy glove hanging there, and that might be the only connection that people actually notice. Sure. But it's just kind of a back and forth thing between Sam Raimi and oh, Wes Craven. There you go. <clears throat> um, oh, and you know something? <laughs> I'll probably the, probably the whole Evil Dead series. Some one identifying characteristic of it is just the over the top gore. Yeah, it's just so much just. The demons there oozing from their faces. Their their skin is cracking open. Um, they're it almost looks like they're vomiting on themselves and on, on other people. Yeah, <laughs> um, they're losing limbs and yeah, just falling apart. Um, and then I'm sure you remember when Ash goes into the cellar. Uh, I think he's looking maybe for more shotgun shells. He sees the pipe. That's dripping blood. Yeah, and then it just opens up, and he right. just gets just doused. <laughs> blood starts coming out of the outlets. Yeah, yeah, and the, that's... the light bulb fills with blood. Mm-hmm. And when uh, you know when somebody gets beaten with a blunt object, you know they 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 get beaten up, <laughs> and it's just. Very, very gory, and it, it, you know this is early '80s gore, and right. very, very low budget '80s gore. Yeah, but you can tell they made the best of what they had. Looking back on it now, for for being 1981 and being filmed on, I think like twenty thousand dollars or something, it, it's, it's bad, not maybe. bad. No, absolutely not, and I think that's why it's held up so well, is because Sam Raimi he made. Very well. I mean, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, even you know the, the star of the film, they all had such dedication to it. It was like their baby. It wasn't a job for them, right? Um, and so you, you, I guess, you could kind of feel that love <laughs> in the film. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's ultimately why it holds up so well today. Why people still love it, even though it's so outdated. Yeah. Uh, the use of the uh, Necronomicon makes it very Lovecraftian, and I hate using that term because it's so overused. But you, you can't deny it. I mean, uh, Sam Raimi is a big fan of Lovecraft. Yeah. Um, you can, you can kind of tell that in the Evil Dead yeah, shows. Um, but I think the most obvious side of that is the use of the Necronomicon, the Book of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think that alone kind of shows that this is a true Lovecraft-inspired film. The yeah. fact that you're including those things and you're not just saying, "Oh, well, you know that uh, that looks like something that Lovecraft would do." It's like you you involve ancient evils, like ancient before time, his evils. And then again, like something like the Necronomicon, which is what a large part of Lovecraft lore is based on. Right. Uh, this is one of those movies I felt created fear of a certain space. 
Like Cabin in the Woods. Sure, yeah. Um, I, I guess I'm more thinking like like Friday the 13th made you f- afraid to go to a summer camp. <laughs> um, Jaws made you afraid of the water. Evil Dead scares the shit out of you and you don't want to go to the woods. Yeah. Especially in a busted out old cabin. <laughs> well, you're, you're very isolated out there. Yeah. And you, you feel that isolation yeah, in, the, in the movie. It's very related. Especially in the scenes where they can't leave. Like yeah. the bridge scene you were talking about. You feel that um, just being stuck feeling. Uh-huh. Uh, you know there's something bad going to happen, but there's nothing you can do. Yeah, and it, it, it uh, kind of instills maybe a bit of uh, claustrophobia. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that just, like you said, just desolation, isolation, uh, and just that feeling of being in a confined space. Um, and somewhere away from home. Yeah. Somewhere yeah. unfamiliar. Exactly. Uh, something you might not be familiar with, uh, actually, I kind of got a couple of fun facts that I uh, just kind of learned when I was doing some research about this. Um, this actually wouldn't have gained as much speed as it had. In fact, the movie may have not been made had it not been for Stephen King, of all really? people. Really. Um, so the whole concept of Evil Dead started with a short that Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell developed called Within the Woods. Uh, it was essentially the same premise in a more concise fashion, um, but it was a very low budget, obviously. And so they wanted to develop it into a full-on film. Couldn't get funding for it. Nobody wanted to touch it. Um, and so they... We're trying to work with different studios and just nobody wanted a piece. And if it it weren't for Stephen King seeing it in a film festival, seeing the short, uh, Stephen King then, you know, he was big then. I mean, around this time, he was just banging out books left and right. Uh, You know, they were working on uh, movies like The Shining, um, you know, that, that... era of Stephen King films Um, so he was big then and he went to New Line Cinema and said hey this guy knows what he's doing you know help him out and so that's how Evil Dead got funded all help from uh, Stephen King wow yeah that's quite a quite a feather in your cap right yeah Uh, I mean I I gotta imagine Sam Raimi still you know, probably thanks uh, Stephen King to this day. Yeah. Uh, another thing I learned was uh, this film more or less helped uh, uh, the, uh, the the Coen brothers get their start. How so? Well, Joel Cohen was uh, the editor on the film. Really? Yeah. And uh, from there, you know, they went on to try and kind of get their own thing started. You know, the Coen brothers, Joel and Ethan, mm-hmm. they try to get their own thing started, and they actually came back and worked with uh, Sam Raimi on a film called Crime Wave, which I wasn't personally familiar with. I'd never seen it. Uh, 
just, apparently it was a total bust. Uh, I mean, it just it went absolutely nowhere. <laughs> it was just probably why I can see looking around. You've probably never heard of it. Either. No idea. <laughs> um, they went on. F- you know, they worked on that together, and down the line, uh, they actually ended up working on uh, movie uh, Hudsucker Proxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they worked on that together, and. Uh, I guess uh, Sam Raimi wrote it and obviously the Coen brothers directed it. So that they kind of got their jump start from Sam Raimi. Wow. Yeah. I'll be damned. So, uh, you know, looking back on the 80s, this was a pretty original concept. They hadn't really explored the whole uh, isolated cabin thing. Right. I mean, um, you know, the, the year previous, <laughs> again, going back to Friday the 13th, you know, you're at a summer camp, there are cabins there, but that's not really a central port of the point of the story. Right. And you're not necessarily isolated because there's other, <clears throat> excuse me, other cabins. Yeah. Other places you can go. Mm-hmm. And there's never really a feeling that you can't leave either. Right, right, exactly. Uh, so this really created kind of a new genre of being in a tight spot in a cabin in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and you know you, you have to think about uh, movies like uh, like Cabin Fever, mm-hmm. which you know different premise, but kind of the same setup. You know, right. you're in a cabin, you're, you're essentially stuck there. You can't leave. Yeah. Um, uh, and then uh, ob- more obvious would be Cabin in the Woods, right? Which I think maybe almost qualifies as a parody, yeah. But also kind of operates as an homage, which Ted Raimi is in that, right? Uh, or am I mistaken? No, I don't. I don't think he is. Huh. I, if he is, I've, I've forgotten him being in it. But um, it kind of sets up those those generic archetypes that you've kind of come to expect from a similar movie. Uh, and then in that manner, it's kind of a parody, but it also pays a lot of respect to those previous films. It kind of gives it, kind of takes you out of the isolation a little bit. Yeah. And then it, it shows you kind of the, the working hands of what's going on in this cabin. So it kind of shows you a little bit of backstory from that, but all in all, it's kind of the same concept. Um, I got a question for you. Uh oh. <laughs> Who do you think made better made a better seller, which, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, would you would you call it Cheryl from the first movie, or do you think? Ted Raimi from Evil Dead 2. Um, you know, I, I gotta go with Ted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, I mean, he really... He just has that creepy kind of cackle voice down. <laughs> and creepy face. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, he 
just kind of nailed it. I mean, like I'm, maybe you've heard about his dedication or that role of wearing that that full on latex rubber bodysuit. Yeah. <laughs> the like I read that actually, uh, Greg Nicotero was on that set. Really? Yeah, that's something I just learned. <laughs> um, apparently, he would actually take little Dixie cups and scoop out sweat oh. from that suit. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just a little bit of Ted Raimi soup for you. <laughs> okay, that's disgusting. It is disgusting. Big question here, and this kind of applies to the whole Evil Dead series. Are they zombie movies? No. Cause, okay, because this is a pretty heated debate, I think. No, they're possession movies. Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I just, I'm confused at how this argument can be so ongoing. It's like, in what way is this a zombie movie? There's absolutely no way. They're not infected, they're possessed. Yeah. And. You know, we we kind of touched on how it gets transferred, but I I don't think it's through a bite. Right. I mean, it, it, you see in the movie where Cheryl stabs Linda in the ankle with a pencil, mm-hmm. and then five minutes later she's possessed. She's possessed. Yeah. There's no transfer of you know any kind of bodily fluid, so it's like it can't be a bite. Right. Unless it was airborne, but then why was Ash never? Possessed or exactly. infected or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Well, just for you listening out there, we have settled on the fact that the Evil Dead series are not zombie movies. Decided. <laughs> Moving on from there, we're going to talk about the remake of Evil Dead from 2013. Please. I I didn't expect to like it. I I think I it's it's like when I first heard they were doing a remake of Dawn of the Dead. It was just it was one of those things you don't touch. Sure. And so I I think I had expectations that I would hate it, that I would be mad at it, but I I didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I know exactly what you mean. I was a little afraid when I when I first heard about it, especially because when I heard of the the director, uh, Fade Alvarez, guy I'd never heard of before. I I was a little skeptical that Diablo Cody was writing it. Okay, or Juno. Oh, okay. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I did not know that, uh, but. Uh, so, I mean, you got, like like you said, this guy writing the script seems a little out of his element. Um, her yeah. element. What's that? Her element. Her element. Excuse me. Pardon me. Uh, 
And then you've got this Fade Alvarez guy, which I believe this was his first feature film. Was it his first feature or just his first American feature? Because he's Spanish, right? Uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I believe he's like a... I don't want to say he was a hotshit director in Spain, but he was like a known director. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could be way off base, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what I remember. Okay. Well, either way, you know, I don't think either of us had heard of him before. I certainly hadn't, no. Yeah. But uh, the fact that Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell both signed off on it. Yeah. And, you know, truth be told, I lost a little faith in Sam Raimi. With Spider-Man? Spider-Man movies. And then also... uh, Drag Me to Hell. Drag Me to Hell, which a lot of people loved. I did not like it because it was... I think Sam Raimi phoned it in. I I didn't hate it, but I I didn't like it. Uh huh. Yeah, I I know a lot of a lot of people really like it, and just it does absolutely nothing for me. It it overused CGI in my opinion, which was so disappointing from Sam because Evil Dead is no CGI. Right, right. Which, of course, it was 1981. It was sure. before CGI was a thing, but I just, I just expected more from him. Mm-hmm. Well, before we get a little, t- a little, f- or before we get any further, let me give you a little backstory on this film. It's essentially the same premise. I mean, they're they're college age kids locked up, or not locked up, but kind of secluded in this cabin in the woods. Basically, you have your Principal characters here, uh, you got a brother and sister team, uh, David and Mia. And Mia's a heroin addict, and her friends, including your brother David, his girlfriend Natalie, and then their, you have to assume maybe childhood friends, Erica, or excuse me, Eric and Olivia, they take her up to this cabin in the woods because she's going to get clean. She's going to get off the heroin for good. And they're going to keep her there no matter what. And she doesn't actually know that. She has it in her head that if she needs to go, David's going to take her. But Eric and Olivia come to him behind the scenes and say, she stays here right. until it's gone. By the way, just to interject, uh, Fade Alvarez is from Uruguay. Uruguay? Yes. Okay. Well, there you go. So, from there... It kind of follows the original film a little bit in that they discover the Necronomicon, which is actually in this film uh, called the Naturum Dimento, or Dimanto, excuse me, um, which a little research that essentially is the Necronomicon in kind of Lovecraftian lore. It's, it's the same thing, just different name for it. Um, I which, wonder why they decided to go with a different name. I, I don't know. Maybe, if nothing else, just kind of develop a little separation from the original film. I suppose. Um, so they discovered this book, and Curiosity Killed the Cat, which is kind of funny, because in the cellar they find a bunch of dead, dead cats, cats hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> And so, Curiosity Killed the Cat, and 
Eric decides he's going to open this book, which well, is... Well, let's, let's, uh, let's give Eric his due recourse. Eric cuts through barbed wire to open the book, sees it's bound in human flesh, still decides to open it, <laughs> sees numerous warnings scribbled into the book in bright red ink saying, do not read this. What does he do? He reads it. Of course. Why wouldn't you? And then there's passages that are scribbled out. So instead of just saying, oh, that's probably something I should avoid... No, he gets out a piece of paper and a pencil, and he scribbles over it so that the words come out. And then he recites this incantation out loud, <laughs> which... Oh, actually, it says, even in the book, it says, do not speak it, do not write it, don't think it. Don't hear it. Don't hear it. Okay, yeah. Um, and So, yeah, like you said, just ignoring numerous warnings... Seeing the insane imagery in this book, and yet he's like, oh, maybe it's still a good idea. <laughs> it's fiction. Yeah. Uh, so he, uh, he reads the book, and from there it kind of establishes a similar storyline to the original, where this, they kind of reuse the old demon cam... Which was a nice touch, a nice yeah, homage nice to the original. And, and this film is chock full of those sure. homages to the original. And it possesses Mia. And what makes you think that it went for Mia? Or why do you think it went for Mia initially? Well, I mean, when it first showed up, she was outside. Sure. So she was the, the first one. But also, I think it could have to do with a weak will, mm -hmm. as her being a drug addict. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of what I thought, too. Uh, is probably just sought out probably the weakest, like you said, weakest will in, in the, the, uh, the uh, area. <laughs> um, and probably just latched onto it. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, it uh, there, there, there's there's less of a backstory in this film. In that, in the original, and you know, when maybe when you assemble the whole series, uh, it talks about the Necronomicon being an ancient Sumerian text. Mm -hmm. um, Bound in human flesh, inked in human blood, or actually not necessarily human blood, but it's inked in blood. And it kind of gives you uh, a little bit of backstory. Maybe that's a little more explored in uh, Army of Darkness when he you know, goes back to medieval mm -hmm. times. But it kind of explains to you what it is and tells you why it's evil. But in this, you're not really given any kind of idea, and no explanation. Uh, the uh, the book makes several references to awakening him, and you really find out who him is till the end. And even then, yeah, even then, you, you still don't know who who he is. 
Yeah. Um, you know, you gotta just assume that maybe he's just some uber demon. Like, I mean, my first instinct is to think Satan. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, that's obviously going to the extreme, and there's no indication that that's what it is. It, sure. You know, there's not even an indication that he is, you know, the Grand Poobah, King of the Demons. Right. Um, but very clearly, I mean, just from the imagery alone, this is who this book is written about. Right. Um, warning. Someone who's a not nice person. Right. <laughs> um, and so, like I, like I said, we're not really given any backstory to that. We just kind of have to piece it together ourselves, which may have been uh, strategic. Yeah. Um, but it, it almost doesn't seem that way. Uh, it seems like it may have just been kind of uh, a missed um, element. Yeah, because the, the original had the recordings that explained where the book came from. Mm-hmm. And this one, since like I guess since they didn't use the recordings, there was really no way of them of no way for them to know where the book came right. from. And you know, there's an opening scene which I neglected to mention, uh, where you find a girl walking down a road, and she's collected and wakes up in the cellar. What do you later find? It's the cellar of, of this cabin. Mm-hmm. She's tied to a pole, and her father and what almost seems like some kind of uh, witch doctor. Gypsy or, gypsy, or something. Yeah. Um, they're with the book and telling her father that the only way to put her at peace is to kill her. To set her on fire. Right, set her on fire. Um, and you don't really understand right away what's going on mm-hmm. until she is pleading with him to let her go. And then when he refuses, she snaps. And instantly she's... Shines into the, the demon. Yeah, yeah. And so he lights her on fire, you know, douses her in fuel and lights her on fire mm-hmm. and blows her head off with a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the holy trifecta. Yeah. So, <clears throat> that is kind of our only backstory. But even that, like, you have no idea who those people are, mm-hmm. how she got possessed, or, you know, it's, it's not even really a backstory. It's more like the same story that happened earlier. Sure, yeah. Yeah, kind of like uh, just the, the, the movie is... The same thing happening to different people. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and so, uh, also, another thing I want to mention is, like, some of you, or all of you, except for Taylor, don't realize or don't know about me, is that I am a huge special effects nut, uh, but only practical effects. I'm not a big fan of CGI. CGI is lazy. Absolutely. And it will never look as good as a practical effect. Never. No, absolutely not. I mean, I don't care if you've got these major blockbusters like like, like Transformers, where it's almost all CGI. Right. It's like, it looks good, but it's never going to look... Like, if it was a real robot, it would look so much better. <laughs> anyway. it's, it's like the, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Mm-hmm. The, the rubber wall effect 
is such an easy effect, and yes. they still went with CGI, and it looks like butt. Yeah. The, yeah. the original with the rubber wall is, it just looks infinitely better. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, especially when you see Freddy push his face, you can see, you can see the, the features. De- yeah, you can see the detail in you know his burned skin. I mean, you could tell it's him as opposed to the remake where it's CGI. It just looks like a face, you know? right? Um, so, me being such a huge and you know Taylor too, but I. Do a lot of special effects, makeup, and things of that nature, prop making. Uh, so me being such a huge nut about it, I really appreciate the fact that this movie is almost entirely practical effects. I don't think even almost. I think it is entirely practical effects. Well, you, you can tell there are certain things where they're kind of fill-ins a little bit. Mm. Like... There's a part where Mia, she's possessed. She, she is kind of crawling up to uh, uh, Natalie, and she kind of slowly lifts her head. And as she's lifting her head, her eyes transform or tr- kind of slowly transition from her natural blue color into that reddish, orange, yellow kind of demon eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know things like that. Obviously, you can't do with practical effects. Sure. So things like that I can appreciate. But you know, uh, having limbs blown off or uh, <clears throat> uh, CGI squibs drive me insane. Yes, it's so simple to create a squib. I can go in the kitchen here and make a squib in five minutes. Right. <laughs> um, and to activate it is just as simple. Um, it's cheaper. It, it's got to be cheaper than play, paying a special you know, CGI artist to create a f- for the small things, sure, but I think the big, the bigger things, the more elaborate props, it's going to be cheaper to just do CGI, and I think that's sure. why so many studios do it. Sure, sure. Um, and I guess that being said, I can really appreciate and, and admire when somebody goes that extra mile to to make sure it looks as real as possible. Not right. not only practical effects, but Good practical effects, and I gotta give credit to the actors too, because mm-hmm. they sat in just some of the most heinous makeup, yeah. and like the part where Mia's got a bag on her head and she's getting buried. Yeah, like being <laughs> able to sit through that is that's impressive. Yeah, yeah, just that. I mean, you can't help but feel claustrophobic for her. Yeah, just watching it. Yeah. Even though at the time she is possessed, so it's really probably not phasing her all that much. But just, just knowing what that actress is going through. Yeah, yeah. Having to breathe that plastic bag in and out of her mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, one thing that really... Well, there are a handful of things in this movie that didn't make sense to me. Um... One thing is that the character Eric, the one that discovers the book and decides that he, he might have the genius idea to read from it, 
despite all the warnings against him, mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes him so long after all of this fucked up stuff stops starts happening to realize, hey, maybe this has something to do with that evil-looking book I just read from. <laughs> and let's just specify, what does he do for a living? He's a high school teacher. Yeah, someone with an education. Yeah, but, you know, that, that brings up another point, is he seems so in the know about this book. He, you know, obviously, yeah, he has had more hands-on time with it. He's had time to kind of read through it. But he seems like he is so educated in... Like he's read it cover to cover 20 times. And he's like researched Sumerian texts, and he knows all of this mythology and lore. What I find funny, too, is if you... In the original, the book is all written. It's all, I mean, it's, you know, not in English, obviously, but it's it's all just writing. And in this one, it looks like a Dr. Seuss. I'm surprised it didn't pop up when he turned the page. Because it's just big, bold pictures taking up the entire page with a little bit of writing on the side or at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's another thing that, one thing that I just don't really care for is just this the look of the book as it is. Yeah. Um, granted, uh, I think the, the where where it looked probably the best is in Evil Dead Two, where it is kind of played off the original look of the book in the first movie. It's a little bigger. It looks a little more realistic. It looks a little more like skin. Mm-hmm. It's still got that face on it. Um, and I in the pages. They look like they're written in blood. I yeah. mean, it, it almost looks almost like a textbook yeah. <laughs> in, in ancient evil, you know? Yeah. But this one is, it's, I mean, it doesn't look like it's inked in blood at all. Right. It's just stark black. Yeah, it looks like it came off a printing press. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, so, I mean, there's... Little things like that. Oh, and you know something I just can't get past. And you may feel different differently about this. The character of David, who is Mia's brother, and I think the two of them kind of uh, at certain points in the movie they kind of combine the role of Ash. Like there yeah. may be different elements. It almost role. seems like. Like, it's based on the original, but it's more of the point of view of Cheryl than of Ash. Sure, yeah. Where she's yeah, more the main character. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, but my big gripe is that the character that played David, Shiloh Fernandez, he does nothing for me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he's a very great actor. Um and a lot of points in the movie, I just did not buy his character. I can see that. Like, there's he, there's no point where I'm genuinely concerned whether he lives or dies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That sounds brutal to say, yeah. but <laughs> like as a character, I just he doesn't make me care about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I can definitely see it's, that. It's just he's just kind of mayonnaise. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Um, and, I mean, I, I've seen this kid once before in a movie called Dead Girl, mm-hmm. which you've seen. We watched together. Okay, well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, I mean, this was several years ago, and he was even worse in that, I think. So I think since that, he's maybe gained a little more chops acting-wise, mm-hmm. but still in this, just... Like, I mean, he, he's not a... He doesn't strike me as bad. He's mm-hmm. just... Like I said, he's mayonnaise. He's middle-of-the-road, vanilla. I, I don't love him, I don't hate him, I don't care. Sure. Which is probably the worst thing for an actor. Uh-huh. You'd rather have people hate you, because at least then you can get better. Sure. And I think the biggest issue I take with that is the fact that the other characters, I mean, aside from he and Mia, um, they're kind of background noise, essentially. They're, they're what I consider uh, disposable characters. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're the main characters. They're the friends with the the hero. I mean, they have to be there, or yeah. else once Mia's possessed, the movie's over. Right, right. <laughs> um, but they're so easily disposed of, and I guess you don't really miss them when they're gone. Yeah, and this this movie doesn't really it doesn't make me care about the characters that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, towards the end. And uh, this is a newer movie, so I'll try to avoid spoiling it. Um, but towards the end, you kind of take on Mia as the main character. Mm-hmm. And it's like you, you, you want them to win, but not necessarily because of them, mm-hmm. just because the, the inverse would be absolute evil. Right, right, right. Um, and yeah, and, and so I guess what my point is is like I was talking about disposable characters, you know, the rest of the cast you don't miss them when they're gone and I guess the issue is you feel that same way about David. You don't care if he's yeah alive or dead you know, he's not, it, it almost feels like he's not essential. Yeah. So, um, and I guess just one other thing that I just didn't quite get uh, is when there's there's a point where he's trying to save Mia and lightning hits a tree and right. lights it on fire. And you know, at this point, he's he's come to grips with the fact that he has to kill Mia. It's the only way she can be stopped. She has to kill her. Um, and in this movie, there are three ways of killing the possessed. One is live burial, um, fire, yeah, immolation, and uh, dismemberment. Dismemberment, right? So he. Kind of comes to grips with. Lighting. Which I, I wondered. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I wondered if that was an homage to the original, when she gets her arms and legs and head chopped off. Could be, yeah. 
Yeah, I can see that. Um, but like with this, lightning hits a tree, lights it on fire. It just it goes up like a torch. Um, and he looks at it as he's about to light me on fire, stops, and then has this brilliant idea. And then he jumps directly to burying her alive. It's <laughs> weird that looking at a, a tree that's on fire would stop you from setting someone on fire. <laughs> exactly. And I guess the only connection I can make is um, he he comes up with this plan that he's going to bury her alive until she dies. And then in kind of typical Ash fashion, he develops this kind of makeshift defibrillator and... Um, so the, I guess the only connection I can kind of make is that maybe the lightning striking the tree gave him the idea for the defibrillator. The electricity. Yeah, and that's really the only idea that I can kind yeah, of Yeah, that's very of. poorly explained yeah, if that's yeah. the case. Yeah, and I mean, that, that seems like it's a common theme. It's just poor explanation. Yeah. Um, and... You know, there was one other thing I was going to mention, but I think it might kind of spoil the ending a little bit, so I might just leave it out. Basically, that the Indian is doo doo. The Indian is doo doo. Yeah. Because the ending sucks. <laughs> oh, the ending! I thought you were saying the Indian. <laughs> yes, the ending essentially. It, Certain elements kind of pay homage to the original series, but all in all, it's just poorly conceived, I think. I think they could have left it at a certain point, and it would have been a much better ending. Yeah. Um, so, I guess... There is, there's talk of a sequel. There is talk of a sequel. Uh, they're discussing... Although, from what I've read... Uh, Raimi really wants to do Evil Dead 4 first. Right, or uh, Army of Darkness 2, I think, is essentially what it would be. Evil Dead 4 is what they're calling it, but I think the the storyline would continue the Army of Darkness. Right, right, right. Um, and the, I know they want to develop a sequel to this one. Right. Um, and there are talks and rumors about the two storylines intertwining at some Right, point. yeah, I've heard that of, of possibly Mia and Ash teaming up. Mm-hmm. Sure. I guess there was an original ending of Mia walking down the street and a car comes and picks her up, she gets in the car, and the driver of the car is Ash. Yeah, I heard I heard that before, and that that would have been pretty badass. I that think. would have been. <laughs> um. So I, I I would I would go see a sequel. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, if nothing else, just because it's Evil Dead, right? I mean, <sighs> I would definitely give it a chance because, like I said, I liked this more than I thought I would. Yeah, definitely. Um, it uh, was was very surprising in its quality. Um, I think the only thing I may have changed is 
uh, as far as uh, the technical aspect, uh, it was very polished. Uh, it didn't have that kind of grimy feeling that the original did, yeah. or even Evil Dead 2. Uh, Army of Darkness was a little more polished right. than, than the previous two, but um, this one was very cinematic, like it was very modern. Yeah. I think they could have stood to kind of dirty it up a little bit. At least um, it wasn't in 3D. Yeah, thank Christ. <laughs> um, you know, I just want to talk about a lot of the uh, the the homages that I noticed. Um, and, you know, let me let me know if you, you spotted any of these, too. Uh, kind of homages to the original series. Mm-hmm. Maybe not just the Evil Dead, but Evil Dead 2. Um, I don't think I actually necessarily saw any from RV Darkness. But let me... Uh, so, you know, right away they get to the cabin... And it's familiar. Mm-hmm. It looks almost identical, right? Like down to the uh, the swing, yeah, hanging from the porch. I mean, it looks almost identical. Uh, another thing, and when I saw this, I loved it. Was uh, when we're first introduced to the Mia character, she's sitting on top of an Oldsmobile Delta, which. You know, that's Ash's car. It's the same car. Is actually the physical yeah. same car? I did not know that. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I believe it's it's Sam Raimi's car. Yeah, yeah. It is Sam Raimi's old car that they used for the film films. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, another thing, and this may have been kind of, you know, not necessarily on purpose, maybe they just did it, but uh, Mia is wearing a Michigan State University sweatshirt. And, you know, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell are both from Michigan. They're Mm -hmm. they're, they're Detroit boys. Uh, So I think this may have been just paying a little respect to them. The the original Evil Dead was partly filmed in Detroit. Right, right. Um, And then from there, they're... When David is first speaking with Mia, kind of talking, saying, you know, oh, I'm going to be here for you no matter what, uh, he gives her in a necklace that is like a, a little eyeglass, like a little mm-hmm. magnifying glass. And anybody that's seen evil, the original Evil Dead, Ash gives an eyeglass necklace to Linda, his mm-hmm. girlfriend. So, I mean, that was very clear as day. Yeah. Uh, tribute to the original. Um, and then uh, I think something that everybody might remember Evil Dead for is the tree rape. <laughs> of course. Um, <laughs> and that actually happens in this, too. Um, a little bit different in how it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, a little more creepy, I think, which, you know, is, is one of the many things I can speak to the remake's credit. Uh, I think this version of the, uh, the, the kind of the rape by the forest uh, was a little more creepy, I think, 
Yeah. There's a few parts of this one that are creepier. Yeah. Not necessarily scarier, mm-hmm. but just a, it's scarier in a different way. Sure. And another thing was, as I mentioned before, the demon cam mm-hmm. uh, and the way that... With the sound effect yeah, too, that they yeah, used. that too. Uh, you know, it, you never actually see this evil force that's flying through the woods mm-hmm. and chasing after people. Uh, all you do is see it from its perspective. And right. I, I mean, as long as I've been a horror fan, which probably four years old when I first fell in love with horror, uh, I've always I've loved that feeling because it gives you kind of the sense that this evil force is like a rabid animal. Yeah. Just going for its prey. Yeah. Um, That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Another common thing is the use of the cellar. Mm-hmm. In the original, they, you know, they keep Cheryl, who's possessed, in the cellar. But for the first one that gets possessed, gets put in the cellar. Right, right, right. And in this case, it's Mia who gets put down there. Um, and, you know, a lot of pushing up of the, of the, mm-hmm. uh, the hatch and right. kind of creeping people out that way. <laughs> um, a few more is Natalie who's David's girlfriend, uh, cuts off her lower arm and her hand right. after she takes a bite, or after she's bitten by Mia, and her arm becomes kind of decrepit and, and, and possessed. And obviously this is... To stop it from spreading. Right. She she lops it off. <laughs> well, I think it was a creative thing. She uses an electric knife. Well, like that's, that's knife. clearly an idle hands reference. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure that's what they had in mind there. <laughs> that's what they were going for. Big Devin Sawa fans. <laughs> so she lops her arm off at the, just above the elbow. But obviously, this is a clear. Uh, play on Ash cutting off his own hand. Evil Dead 2. Right. Um, after it becomes possessed. The only thing that I kind of missed is that her arm didn't chase her right. around. <laughs> um, at a certain point, and you know, right now the setup escapes me. At one point, Eric says the line, does that sound fine? Hmm. And you might remember that from Evil Dead 2. When, when his uh, the image in the mirror is yeah, talking to yeah. him. Yeah, Ash is staring at himself in the mirror, and he says, Okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then his image, his reflection comes to life and says, We just cut our girlfriend up with a chainsaw. Does that sound fine to you? And so, I mean, that... I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but... That jumped out at me. Instantly. Yeah, it definitely brings up images. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, there was a certain point, and this may have just been kind of... I, you and I kind of agreed on this, maybe just our interpretation. There's a certain point where uh, Natalie is beating David... After she's been possessed, she's beating David with a crowbar. Mm-hmm. And it's very reminiscent of when Cheryl is beating Ash with a fire poker. Yeah. Um, just kind of the same, just mindless beating, uh, 
it's just kind of emotional. It's just kind of swinging it wherever. Right. Uh, whether that was on purpose or not, that just kind of... It does bring up the images again. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing is there's a certain point where, and this reminded me of Evil Dead, and uh, I can't, I don't recall the character's name, but she's the researcher's daughter in Evil mm-hmm. Dead 2. Uh, she has her possessed mother locked in the cellar, uh, who's played by Tim Bramey, by the way. <laughs> uh, her mother kind of drops the possession image and starts singing a lullaby that she sung to her when she was a child. Mm, right. And Mia does a similar thing to, to David. David. Uh, in that she sings a song that her mo- their mother used to sing to them at, at bedtime, you know, uh, uh, a lullaby. Yeah. So that kind of sounded similar to me. And then I think probably the most iconic shout-out, and something I don't think you could have gotten away with making this film without doing, is there was a point where a character, I won't say who, actually loses a hand and straps on a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't quite make the chainsaw hand. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, they lose a hand and they, they shove the stub into the handle of the chainsaw, and so it's kind of a makeshift chainsaw hand. Yeah, but clear, I mean... Crystal clear homage to yeah. Evil Dead Two, yeah. and well, to a certain point, Army of Darkness. Right. I mean, the, uh, who thinks of Ash without his chainsaw hand? Exactly. <clears throat> so, I guess kind of wrapping things up here. Let's take the original Evil Dead. Let's say on a scale from one to ten, how would you rate it? And be objective. I would say, keeping in mind that it's 1981, very low budget, very low technology, just going by the storyline and the acting, seven. Seven? That's a good score. I'm going to... Probably going to... God, I hate to do this because I'm such a fan. I think just based on essentially the same things you just mentioned... Um, the fact that it was 1981, it was 1981 effects, and it was cheap, bare bones effects. Right. Uh, I mean, you, you read about this, and you know that uh, the crew had to develop some of these effects on the set. Mm-hmm. Um, keeping all that in mind, like you said, the the acting and the story. I'm going to have to give it a, a six. And I don't want, it, want that to convey the wrong idea because I love this movie. I am personally a bigger fan of Evil Dead 2 because I, I love a good horror comedy, <laughs> which it's very clear Evil Dead 2 is. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, i gotta, I got to give it a six just because I am a modern person and I have to understand that or I have to accept that I live in a modern age with modern effects. Mm-hmm. And so I, I gotta get it a six. All right. 
Um, now the remake, same thing, be objective. Uh, you know, I would probably say like seven if it wasn't for that ending. And that ending just ruins it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say five and a half. Okay. Yeah, I can I can see where you're coming from with that. Um, there's there's definitely something missing from that ending, if not the fact that they should have ended it 15 minutes earlier. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so what, they, what they should have done is done the ending from the original. Yes. I, I fully agree. And I mean, that would have set it up perfectly for a sequel. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to probably match my rating of the original and give it a six. And that's kind of based on the fact that it does have modern effects mm-hmm. and um, modern actors. You know, they're a little, it's a little campy. Oh, um, definitely. Definitely less campy. Yeah. Um, but... Again, like you said, with the the ending, which I was not a fan of, uh, kind of the the disconnect from the actors, um, particularly one of the main characters, you know, one you might consider the hero, the disconnect from him, I'm going to have to go ahead and give that a a six as well. Okay. All right, well, that's all for us today. I want to thank you a lot for joining us in our first episode. Um, Yes, definitely. Um, We're going to try and do this twice a month. So, you know, you can subscribe on our blog. You can follow us on Twitter. uh, You can add us on Google+. Yeah? Yeah. That's it. Oh, um, if you want to add anything, you can, you know, comment on our blog or any of those social networks, or you can email us at graveplotpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Well, thanks again, guys. Uh, Thanks so much for bearing with us on our kind of inaugural episode here. Uh, It gets better. Yeah, uh, we're we're gonna try and we're gonna try and include some more things. We want to try and do some interviews, uh, and uh, you know, you know, just learning by you know tr- trial by fire. We're, we'll we'll pick it up as we go along, and we just hope you stick with us. Definitely. All right. Well, thanks again. This is Skeletoni and Taylor of Terror signing out. Bye bye. <laughs>